Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in this new series, I Love the 90s. I'm Ben, I'm the lead pastor here, and I uh, want to just see who I have here. Uh, how many of you uh, were, uh, may- maybe you would say, how many of you were born January 1st, 1990? A lot of you? Were, no, not born the date. You were alive on that day. Okay, I, I knew I had said something. I'm like, wow, there. <laughs> I misspoke. Uh, so uh, you remember, any of you having some images will be on the screen. Any of you have a phone that looked like this in the 90s? Yeah, the big brick phone. I remember, I, I think it was like 35 bucks a month and you got 30 whole minutes of talk time. Uh, conversations were short. My daughters are like, well, how did you text people? Uh, that wasn't happening then. How many of you watched this show in the 90s? Yeah, we all miss that, don't we? And then, uh, when you wanted to connect to people using your computer, there was this uh, thing, oh yeah, America Online. And here's all you had to do, is you would have to dial up, log in, it took a while, you could like mow your lawn or something like that, uh, and then you could be connected. And in fact, you think about what's happened since uh, the 90s, that uh, in fact, January 1st, 1990, Taylor Swift was one month old. Justin Bieber wasn't born. Some of you, I don't know how you feel about that one. Uh, uh, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet. There had been so, uh, uh, so many things that were different in the 90s. In fact, uh, only 3% of Americans had a cell phone. In the early 90s, there was this new technology that everyone had. It was called the pager. You remember that? You get, and, and a pager, uh, people say, well, how did you communicate with people? You didn't. It just told you that someone wanted to get a hold of you, and then you'd have to go find a what? A pay phone uh, to talk. It was a decade of incredible progress. And we're going to have a lot of fun, but in the next three weeks, here's what we're going to look at. The progress that God wants us to make in our life with him. See, it's not about perfection, but it is about moving a direction. We call it your next right step. We all know you have a, a, a next wrong step, but a next right step as well. Every once in a while, someone will come to me. Hey, you know, do you think this person, uh, uh, they want to be involved in ministry? Do you think this is the right role for them? My, my question is the same every time. Are they moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus? When you're moving towards Jesus, you're, you're really making incredible progress. You'll see it over a period of time. In fact, uh, Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, he, uh, he wrote two books in the Bible. God inspired him. The very last thing he says, last verse, 2 Peter 3.18. This is not in your outline. It is in the Bible. Uh, and it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we're to grow. God's will is that you grow. And it's not as difficult as some people make it out to be. But it, it does involve 
doing a few things, and we're going to be looking at that in the next couple of weeks. In fact, I have a, a passage from Matthew where Jesus gives the great commission. He says, go out in the world and, and, and make disciples. And that really ties into our mission as a church, uh, that we would make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. That's uh, Timberlake. Every once in a while, uh, people will say to me, that's not a very unique mission statement. It's not supposed to be. Because as I've said before, if your church has a unique mission statement, you're probably part of a cult. That's what you are. Uh, yeah, your, your mission statement should never be unique because Jesus gave you the mission where to be on. And that's for anyone who would be a follower of Christ. In fact, uh, Acts 1-8, Jesus is there and, and he has his disciples around him and he's risen from the dead. And they're, they're like, okay, what is this going to be about? What is our part in it? And he said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. He says, I have a plan for you. And, and a lot of us were saying, oh, what about the problem I'm dealing with? What about this anxiety I have? A lot of that can be taken care of when we get a mission that's bigger than ourselves. And it's a mission that God would have us be part of. And you think about that one verse in Acts 1.8, uh, it starts with what? My people, my friends, my, my family, am I, am I showing love, am I showing grace, am I helping out, am I, is my faith lived out well? My community, we focus a lot on that as a church, but also it would be my world, that we're, we're to make an impact in our world. Now, you would think that after Jesus says, hey, go get them, you know what his disciples do? They look at each other. They look at their shoes. We don't know how long it was, but we, uh, we see a few verses later that uh, his, his disciples, uh, they really don't make a lot of progress. In fact, an angel, a couple angels are sent to them. Uh, by the way, when you think of angels, a lot of times we get this from TV. It's not like precious moments figurines are touched by an angel, uh, touched by an a angel. Usually people had to change their underwear when they saw an angel. I mean, it was, it was like a really, it was a bad, it was like a frightful thing. These powerful creatures. And, and these angels say, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking in the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. They said, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to fulfill his promises. But now it's your part to participate in God's work. And it's so easy to look at that and to uh, say, well, if I was there, I would have been, you know, right on it. But then uh, I look at my own life where I haven't been on it, where I've hesitated, where there's been the opportunity to meet a need, to share my faith, to make a difference. And, and, and I was thinking about that. Why do we hesitate? Why do I hesitate? And we find that all in, in the book of Acts. We, we do. Uh, there's one legitimate fear. There's a, this fear of what might happen. Now, we read in Acts 5 that people were actually arrested and thrown in prison because of their faith. Today, I'm going to spend, in fact, most of our time, I'm going to be talking with someone who, who was arrested because of his faith. There are parts uh, of the world where converting to Christianity can cost you your life. And so uh, there was legitimate fear. Our greatest fear is usually, oh, you know, no one will call me on Friday night or I'll eat lunch alone. But there's still some fear in that. 
And then there's personal failure. And in fact, uh, the Acts chapter 2, which I referenced there, is where Peter, he, he speaks to the crowds and he tells them about Jesus. But you know what happened before that? Three different times when Jesus needed him the most, he denied Jesus again and again, to, even to like a 12-year-old girl. He was so afraid to share his faith. And yet he didn't get stuck in his failure. I think for some of us, maybe this is the thing God wants you to hear more than anything else is your failure need not define you, and certainly not define your faith. Now, it can if you let it. What God sees is your heart in this moment, and and, and will you move towards Him? And there's something incredible about this moment. If I let the moment pass that God is, is working in my life and heart, oftentimes there's that sense where I, I, I don't feel that again. But, but don't let failure define you. And I don't say this just to make you feel good. Oh, you know, you're just saying this so I, 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 I don't feel bad. No, I'm saying it because it's what the scripture is about. It's about grace. But it could be our failure. Or, or, or maybe uh, it's the failure of others. Maybe we're un- unsure of the need. That In fact, we see this in uh, the book of Acts, that there's a guy named Philip who we don't h- hear a lot about, but uh, he was a follower of Jesus, and he didn't even know where to go, and God had to transport him to the place of need because he just couldn't see it. And then there's unexplored opportunities where, where we just haven't seen the opportunities that God has put before us. In fact, uh, Peter, who, who we are talking about, is he was that follower of Jesus, but he had this narrow view of who Jesus would reach. Even though it says in the scripture, in the book of Genesis, uh, God says, Genesis 12, I, I blessed you to be a blessing. You will, you will be a light to the Gentiles. But he thought that God was only there for good church people. And, and in fact, can I tell you something? The people I know who are really furthest away from a biblical understanding of God are often the people who would say, you know, I'm sort of religious, but I haven't bought in. Because that kind of religion can inoculate you to real faith. And in fact, I, I remember when I first became a Christian, I, I don't come uh, from a Christian family, come from a secular Jewish background, didn't grow up in church, never did any of that kind of stuff. Uh, in fact, my parents just sort of... Uh, well, you know, like the new marijuana law that they have? Uh, they were trailblazers because they've been smoking weed for 35 years. <laughs> and so, they, uh, so that's what they did. And by the way, I have never used drugs ever in my life. I, that, is, that is rare. Uh, but I have probably been high because of secondhand smoke uh, more than anyone you've ever met. So, the, uh, so, so that's not the background. And I heard people say, well, man, I hope my... Uh, you, you know, he's from a good Christian family. I'm like, well, I'm in trouble. You know, my parents, 12 marriages between them. They, they believed in marriage, though. That's what they, <laughs> they, so, I'm like, that, that just doesn't, so is there hope for me? Or does it have to be because of pedigree and background? Or maybe it's like when Jesus saw the criminal on the cross who had messed up everything in his life to that moment. 
And he said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, today you, you will be with me in paradise. See, God takes the, the open heart. And there's opportunities that we'll never see unless we have the heart of Jesus. In fact, one, one of the things as a church we've been uh, working on, uh, of course we have uh, our ministry in our uh, community and with our families. And I, I think we do pretty well there. In fact, we're maybe known for that as a church. But around the world, and we've had more and more opportunities uh, to expand our mission outreach. And we highlight that with you because we don't, we don't take special offerings. You're offering, you're giving every week. We, we use that and a, and a portion of that and every year a larger portion of that for ministries around the world, whether it's an orphanage we uh, own and operate in Haiti or, or you name it. Last year, uh, had someone shared with me an opportunity in the Middle East. And so we were able to make an initial investment about $20,000 there with some, some people who uh, that we don't often think about. And, I, and as, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about someone who I had prayed for. Uh, North Korea is probably the area that maybe is the most close to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the whole world. Uh, and uh, Kenneth Bay, who was there for two years in, in prison, and I was praying. He's from Linwood originally and was praying for him as he was there. And I was thinking, you know what would be good is for us to hear sort of out of, out of the box uh, for some of us is that kind of perspective. And so today I've invited uh, Kenneth Bay, who's going to join me for the rest of our time together. Can you give Kenneth a big hand? It has been just amazing um, um, blessing to see so many people being involved, uh, getting me released for the last two years. And not to mention, not only mentioning for thousands of people who have been praying for me as well. So I just want to say thank you all for supporting me and lifting me up and not forgetting me. At the same time that I also not forgetting the people of North Korea. I'm standing st strong uh, because of you. And thank you for uh, being there at such a time as this. Uh, so I just want to just say tonight that thank you for all your support and prayer and your love that has really been encouraging for me and for others that who are in the same shoes. Uh, in well, uh, that, that was a while ago, and God has uh, uh, brought you from that place here today and given you a, a voice uh, around, around the world. And uh, when you went to North Korea and you were arrested, though, uh, that wasn't your first time there. You'd, sort of been going to North Korea. Why don't you tell us about that? Uh, the time that I was arrested, that was my 18th trip to North Korea in about just in two, within two years. And I brought people to North Korea to pray and walked around and worship in, in God's name and also love the people as God see them, you know. So we just wanted to go and see the land for ourselves and pray and worship and love the people. And then apparently they... Uh, that got me in trouble. Yeah, in fact, in fact, uh, Kenneth wrote a book, uh, uh, Not Forgotten. I encourage you to to get that. You can get it at Amazon or I'm sure many other places. Uh, th your prayers, they, they they said were dangerous and revolutionary. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, um, I was detained there. They said um, you tried to overthrow our governments. I say, how did I do that? And they said, 
through prayer and worship. And I said, you don't believe in God, why do you believe in prayer? And you have more faith than most of Christians do. <laughs> and, um, and then there was a one lady that I trained, and she's North Korean, that went, went back to start an orphanage. Uh, she didn't even get to start the orphanage yet. Um, so I told her that starting an orphanage, why is it a crime against the state? And this is what they said, that you train one person to become a Christian, that person come back and start a Christian orphanage with 10 children, and they will become Christian. 10 will become 100, 100 will become 10,000. When that happens, do you think they're going to be a threat to us or not? I said, maybe. And then, <laughs> see, what you have done is you try to infect us with a Christian virus and to divide us, to conquer us. You know, we turn our people against our leader and our faith in our system. Therefore, you are the most dangerous criminal we have ever apprehended since Korean War. Not only you try to do mission work, you, you encourage others to do mission work in North Korea. And when they said that, I felt like there was God's way of saying it, that yes, prayer can make difference. Yes, one person can transform the nation and societies. And so they said, well, we just need to, because of that, uh, we have to, you have to pay for your crime. That's how I ended up being detained for such a long period of time. And so you were there uh, two years, and uh, in that time, you, you talked about what their fear was, that people would become free on the inside, and because it really wasn't anything political, and then that would have a revolutionary effect uh, in society. And uh, as, you, as you were there, did you uh, get the opportunity to uh, share your faith with uh, other prisoners or the guards or anything like that? The first year of imprisonment was very difficult. I have to endure uh, in a, in a, from 8 in the morning until 6 o'clock in the evening, six days a week, labor, hard labor, working in the uh, field, being field, uh, carrying the rock, digging the hole. It was a very difficult process to do that. But uh, I was there um, for several months, and then they started wondering, you are very strange. I said, why? And then they said, we are the guard, and you are the prisoner. Why are you happier than us? Mm. Where your joy, your hope come from? I say, it's come from God. And then, and, then, and then after being there for a year, I realized that there were two failed attempts by uh, U.S. government to, to get me home. I was pretty desperate at the time. I've been praying every day to the Lord, send me home, bring me home. And I received a letter from my mom. And then uh, she said this, um, you need a faith like Daniel's three friends. Our God is able to save us, but even he does not. And, you know, we need, you need a, that kind of faith. So I knew that I wasn't going home anytime soon. I was already, I was the first American to send to labor camp. I was the first one to be there more than a year. And finally, I had to ask this question to the Lord. Lord, uh, do you want me to stay here? Is it your will for me to stay I had a hard time um, uh, asking the question because I did not want the answer. <laughs> and after three weeks, I finally broke down and I said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And um, Lord, I give up my right to go home. Use me, Lord. After I said this prayer, Lord spoke to me and said, then feed my sheep. And so after that, I realized there are so many people around me who never heard the gospel before. Um, so I started one by one, God opened the door, and then soon they were uh, asking questions, and they started calling me a pastor. Can I talk to you, pastor? And they're talking about their 
family problems and parenting issues. I was doing premarital counseling, parenting <laughs> counseling <laughs> with many guards and staffs. And then suddenly uh, one guard asked me this question. Pastor, if I believe in God like you, do I get something out of it? You know, what's the benefit of believing God? And the other person was saying is, if I believe in God like you, what do I have to pay to your church? <laughs> We're talking about financial commitment. And I say, yes, there are some, but more likely you need to give yourself to God. And then I was there for two years. Finally, one guard asked me, you said God is real, then why are you still here? Because you say God listened to your prayer. And I said, maybe because God has a different plan. That plan may include you because without me, how are you going to hear about God or anything from outside? He said, it's so true because I never heard anything like this before. When I first was detained, one guard asked me this question. I heard about God before, never heard about Jesus before. Where does this Jesus live? In China or North Korea? <laughs> He was born in Pyongyang, the capital. Pyongyang used to be known as uh, Jerusalem, the Far East. There are more churches, more Christians per person in the Asia 100 years ago. But now, he was born in Pyongyang, graduated from uh, college, never heard the name of Jesus. This is what it's like to live in North Korea right now. And there are 24 million people live like that. Wow. So uh, I think it was a God's way for me to be, uh, I was reminded by the Lord that I was there for a reason, to be the light and to be the missionary to people, even in the detainments. Well, and, and in the book, and you, you talk about that uh, the relationship actually did build. In fact, after a year, you thought you were going to uh, go home. And uh, why don't you tell a little bit about the guards? Okay, another thing, you, there was, you were the only prisoner in the prison, right? <laughs> yeah. And there were 30 guards? Yeah, there was... Um, when I was sent to the prison, I realized that, that when I got there, it was for foreigners only prison. It wasn't, it, was, it wasn't typical the labor camp at North Korean would go. And then turned out I was the only prisoner there. More than 30 guards and staffs were there. So I received a lot of attention from there, <laughs> from many people. Um, and so um, just uh, surrounded by many people. First, they were uh, pretty harsh because I was the first American I was sent there. They thought that I was there to overthrow the governments. They actually thought that I was a CIA agent. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally they realized that, oh, you're just missionaries. Oh. Uh, but it's still, it's, you're a threat to our nation. This is why that I was at, ended up in the labor camp. And, and so when they thought, because there were a couple attempts, uh, they thought you were going to go home that, after that first year. What was their reaction? You know, I was there for over a year, and then there was a third attempt by North, uh, for U.S. government. They were um, to, to try to get me home. So I was told that the envoy is coming in two days. I told everybody goodbye. I even sang a goodbye song to them, farewell song. And they said, no, don't sing a, such a sad song because you're making us sad. You should stay with it longer. We like having you here. <laughs> So, you know, you've only been here for a year and a half. Why do you want to go home so soon? I <laughs> and I said, uh, well, sooner I go home, sooner I come back. But not as a prisoner next time, but maybe be a blessing to the people. And I would like to come back and see you guys all. But um, at the time, that, that attempt failed also. And I ended up staying another um, eight months or so before I went home. 
but I didn't know that at the time. But I was given a life, uh, that I was given an additional time with the people because uh, this Lord reminded me that people over there never heard the gospel before. I may be the only Jesus they'll ever see. You know, they said, when I leave, they should have some sort of glimpse of Jesus after I'm gone because they may not never even seen another Christian in their life before. So I, every day I have to count on the days to knowing that I may have limited time left. You know, so sooner, I mean, the, when I may go home soon. So in, in that period of time, I need to live it as a light and live it as, a, as, as, you know, as someone who loved God. To demonstrate, because I couldn't say it, but I could live out in a way. So I had to live, you know, according to the word of God. So I had Bible with me. I had, this is the Bible that I brought in. They gave him back my Bible. So I read more Bible in North Korea than any other time in my life. I worship God more and pray and seeking God. So I felt like I had a two years long personal retreat with the Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in. Uh, when you see Kenneth and you can see this, is that he's a positive person and, and filled with hope from the Lord. But there were, uh, I mean, I just saw it when I saw on CNN and Seattle Times as your health had failed in many ways. Uh, you were becoming emaciated. Uh, you had one of the guards, or no, no it was one of the prosecutors who uh, was not as encouraging. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, about all that? Tell us about him and, and tell everyone the nickname that you had. Well, suffering was real. I lost about 27 kilos, about 60 pounds during those times. By the way, I gained all my weight back, so I look a little <laughs> different than the video. Uh, but I had this one um, you know, prosecutor that came to see me the last year of my detainment. So she came, he came to see me every week. And he was telling me that uh, you, nobody remember you anymore. You're not going home anytime soon. You're going to be here for another 13 more years. We celebrate your 60th birthday together. And he does that every week. So I decided to nickname him Mr. Disappointments. <laughs> you know, uh, he would come and say every time, and no matter how much you put on the full armor of God and worship, you know, pray and be a light to the people, it's really difficult when someone continues to say, you know, no one cares for you. Um, so when you listen to Mr. Disappointments, and then you get fall in despair, you lose hope, you become hopeless. So I have to make a choice um, to go back to the Word of God and also all the letters that people send. I received more than 450 letters from all over the world that I didn't know. And they were saying, Kenneth, you are not forgotten. We are standing with you. We are praying for you. You will come home soon. I met a few of the people last couple of services that they were praying for me all this time. I just want to say, because of your prayer, I was able to come home. And two days before the, my two-year anniversary, which was November 1st, was time that this prosecutor came and told me the same thing. Your government have forgotten about you. You have to be here 13 more years. But two days later, November 3rd, two-year anniversary, 2014, and I woke up early morning. God said, open your Bible to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 20. And I didn't know what there was. I opened it. And the, the verse said, in the NIV version said, I will bring you home. There was a Monday, November 3rd. Friday, U.S. envoy came. Saturday, I was able to come home. And on the way home, there were more than 20 people came to get me home uh, with the U.S. plane. And then I told them, God told me on Monday that he's going to bring me home. 
And then they were so surprised because they said, we left Washington, D.C., November 3rd, Monday. And so God told me, God sent the plane over. He is a really good God and faithful. That's great. Now we can, amen. Kenneth's story is so fascinating. Just the people and things that God used. I know at one point, Dennis Rodman, of all people, asked the North Korean leader to do me a solid and uh, let you go. And then, uh, uh, and then Little Nemo, the movie Little Nemo. And, and really about the, the TV they made you watch and sort of how God sent you Little Nemo in the midst of that. Oh, well, uh, first few months, I was actually in detention center, not the prison. This is when that I was being still questions, but they let me watch TV. Then realized that later on, they actually made me watch TV because I had to watch propaganda channel for anywhere between 6 to 10 hours a day, uh, every day. It was very difficult to endure. Um, so I was watching, uh, and suddenly, Finding Nemo came on <laughs> in English and with a subtitle in English. And it was part of the, their education program for their college students. But uh, during this whole time finding Nemo for two hours, I just wept throughout, throughout the whole movies. It was just taste of a home and just all the humors it was involved in. And I, that was right before the Christmas, first Christmas away from the family. And the Lord kind of, in a way, that it encouraged me and comforted me and say, see, I'm still here with you. And there's many stories that I can tell you that how God was faithful. He said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. I'm still here with you, Kenneth. And he's been, been a, a wonderful encouragement uh, during those times to remind me that I was there for a reason. You know, we read the Bible, a lot of us will we'll open it up, and we read verses like this, Second uh, Corinthians four sixteen through 18. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. How does a verse, how did a verse like that and how does a verse like that speak to you? Uh, God spoke to me through the uh, many Bible verses, um, more than 70 verses the Lord gave me during the time of detainments. But uh, just like the, the verse you know, the Bible said, um, you know, the, our suffering is temporal, but we have something greater to look forward to. Eternity in heaven, there's no suffering. There'll be a joy and comfort. Knowing that the, even suffering is beneficial, this is what he reminded me when I was saying, Lord, when, do you, when are you going to take this suffering away from me? He said, Kenneth, even the suffering is beneficial for you. And I realized, you know, I came home. And I met with many North Korean refugees, um, and then they were saying they're, they're able to connect with me, bond with me. And they say, you are just like us. We are, came from North Korea, you went to prison just like us. You understand our suffering. And I realized that there was a reason why I was have to there. I have to be there to know the heart of God for the people of North Korea, to be able to connect with the people who are in desperate situations because I was locked, locked up. And I was able to see the people who do not have a freedom in their life. Freedom to know God, freedom to worship is something we take it for granted. But now, because of that, the Lord uh, continued to remind me that there is something more to look forward to, even time of suffering, because Jesus is a hope. Because one, 
North Korean person I met in the very beginning of my ministry, this is what he said. He was a Christian for less than four weeks. And he said, I did not have a hope in my life, but now I have a hope because of Jesus. And because of Jesus is a hope, uh, we have, we can, we can, even during our suffering, we have something to look forward to. We have Jesus who never leaves us, never forsakes us. And he will carry us during the suffering. We will look forward to the days that we rejoiced all together in heaven with him. Amen. Well, you, it, most of us, had we suffered something like that, we would get as far away as we could from uh, that country and, and uh, uh, never go back uh, because it was traumatic. But you feel like God is now calling you back to, to minister to people in North Korea. Can you tell us about that? Yes. I don't think at this present moment I won't be able to go back to North Korea. Um, but uh, there are North Koreans are in exile. And there are more than 100,000 North Korean refugees who are hidden in China, living in fear. And there are also about 30,000 refugees made it to South Korea, now resettling in South Korea. About 1,500 to 2,000 people are able to make it out from North Korea to South Korea in every year. And there are tremendous need for them to, uh, to care for them, to help with them, and remember them in prayer. So the uh, Lord reminded me that, um, you know, he said that how, you know, my time in North Korea, he said after I came home, that people have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten you while you're in North Korea. But I have not forgotten the people of North Korean people either. He said, I've seen their suffering, I've seen their, you know, I heard their cries, seen their tears. I will restore them once again. But I do believe that God's heart for us to reach out to the people often being forgotten, stand with them and pray for them and just remembering them, be a blessing to them. And I think we can make a difference in people's lives. And so um, I came home and now. I'm in the process of starting an NGO for North Korean refugees that who are living in South Korea and China and elsewhere to just saying that is we care for you, remember you, and we're just here to support you and love you. And I think that they will be encouraged to know that God cares for them as he has done for me in, during the time of North Korea. And we're, we're excited. Uh, for those of you who are new to Timberlake, how we, we support mission work around the world in our community and uh, you don't hear about special offerings because we don't do that. We take the money that you give faithfully. We live on less, and we invest significantly in, in the world. And so we're, uh, we're excited to uh, be one of the first partners and, and one of a, uh, a significant partner in that ministry. And so uh, as, as we do that, though, too, uh, I want to, one, pray for Kenneth. And uh, why don't we do that? Lord, I thank you. For Kenneth, God, I thank you for your work in his life. God, I thank you how you took the, honestly, the, uh, the darkest hours of his life and brought the most hope uh, to people around him. God, how you brought hope to our world. And God, I pray that you would continue uh, to really blow our mind in, in how you would uh, bring your hope to people who feel like they've been forgotten. And God, I pray for my friends who are even here today and they feel that they've been forgotten. And God, how you've used uh, the words of the scriptures and, and Kenneth's words uh, to let us know that that's not the case. 
God, we ask that you would bless him, you would keep him safe, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give Kenneth a hand? Thank him for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.